Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Comedian's Interview for my blog and podcast, A Rich Comic Life. My name is Richard Gill, and my blog describes my experiences of watching over 1,000 stand-up comedians and counting over the last 47 years. I'm delighted today, today to welcome my special guest. It's Mr. Steve Bujega. Yes! Hello! <laughs> How are you? Wow, you did warn me you are going to do quite an enthusiastic uh, comedian I ever saw was in 1977 when I was oh, wow. seven okay. and I just thought why not try and create a blog from an audience point of view which I think yeah. is very unique um, and it's just taken off it's it's been extraordinary so um, welcome my absolute pleasure you, you you always make me laugh when I see you and and, and I'm delighted you're oh. a guest um, we're going to go right back to the start of your career, if that's okay. And uh, can you ask me, how did you become a comedian in the first place, please? Yeah, so, uh, very beginning, I was 19 years old, and I was working on a summer camp in America. Right. Um, it was a single camp in America, so I was a student in, in England. And then I went for summer to work, at least, to, to look after kids at a summer camp. And they had a staff talent contest, uh, which you could enter and do anything you want, it's like juggling or play the drums or something. And uh, I, for some reason, just decided to have a go at stand-up. I don't know why. Like, I'd always liked the idea of doing it. I never, like, dreamed of being a stand-up or anything. I just thought it'd be a cool thing to do. I thought, well, this seemed like a good environment to do it in, because no one really knows who I was. Uh, there was no real risk. And also, the standard talents, I thought, would be quite low. So uh, I thought I'd just give it a go. And my friend Tom, who well, he's a brand new friend, only met him that week, um, he was really into comedy as well. So he helped write the jokes with me. So we spent like three days just sat when we should have been looking after kids, really, um, completely neglecting the children, <laughs> writing jokes for my stand-up set. And we were just like, sort of became a bit obsessed with it. And then I did the talent contest. I think I only did like five minutes. But all the jokes were about the camp. So it was like very written about the camp. Right. So it did really well because obviously all the jokes were about the people watching. The, so like everyone loved it, even though the jokes weren't that good. It was obviously about them. So everyone, so I was, I won the talent contest. Is, is, is what Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I won $20, which actually was my highest paying gig for many, many years to come. Wow. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so that's what gave me the bug, I guess, of starting comedy. And it was just one of those things. I got up on stage and I suddenly, I was very shy before that. Um, I still I still am quite shy socially, but I I was a very, I always felt a bit like left out and a bit a bit socially awkward. And just felt a bit like, that, no, I didn't fit in really. I know that's quite a common thing with comedians. And then suddenly when I did this gig, um, not only did I feel comfortable on stage and feel like I felt like I belonged somewhere. Yeah, yeah. After the gig, I suddenly had like a bit more of a spring in my step. Like it, I just—it's not like everyone was talking about it or anything. It just like suddenly gave me a sense of fulfilment and purpose in like sure, a reasonable yeah. way that I think made me a bit more confident socially, which I think 
that combined with enjoying the actual gig itself made me think, oh, maybe this is something I should keep doing because it makes me feel like a better version of myself, even off stage. Um, I don't know if that's a healthy answer. No, no, that um, is a wonderful answer because um, I found something pa- I passionately love. Uh, and the blog I started two or three years ago when I turned 50. So it's taken me 50 years to, to really hone in <laughs> what I want to do. My, my job is, a, my, my normal job is an administrator, but administrator yeah. is so wide. <laughs> and I thought to myself, if you can hone in on something that you love to do, and it's given me an enormous amount of confidence, so it must do if you stand up on stage and do it. Yeah, I think it's that thing. As you say, it's not really about the um, the act of stand-up that gave me the confidence. It's yeah. the feeling that I had found a passion. Yeah. I found an identity. It, it could have been, you know, if, if it had been playing the piano. It yeah. That, you know, and, and that would have given me the same sense of sense of confidence, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, it's a, I guess it's a real shame it was stand-up. It's no, it's brilliant, it's brilliant. So, so what sort of year are we talking when you went to Camp America? That was 2010. Right. So did you stay in America or did you come back to Britain and do the yeah. stand-up? Yeah, so you came back, yeah? So I did, yeah. I was at the camp for maybe seven weeks. Or right, okay. So, so That was right at the beginning. Right. Um, I then like got to host all the shows for the rest of the camp. Right. So like, if there was a... Uh, I think the kids did a talent contest, and then there was like another fit, like a music event. So I was always the host because I'd done the stand-up thing. So actually, I got quite a lot of stage time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, I wasn't being very funny, but I was like talking on stage in front of people. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And and, then, and, um, and of course, compare experience as well. Yeah, you know. Except the audience were so the camp I worked on was for autistic children. All oh, right. Um, <laughs> not the easiest group no. of people. To <laughs> I will say they don't often get jokes. Right. Uh, <laughs> they can take jokes quite literally, so it wasn't yeah. always the easiest gig. No. But the um, the, the, the adults, uh, you know, my colleagues did did laugh. Um, Good. But uh, it was amazing. To be honest, the summer was amazing. Looking after those kids was pretty life changing. Actually, did a TED talk, like not that, about last year. I did a TED talk with, about working on that kids camp. Yeah, yeah, how, yeah. It sort of um, how, how, how big an impact it had on me. That's brilliant. So, so after America, you come back to Britain, and you have the bug for becoming a trying to become a stand-up comedian. Did, the way you got into it was it through um, pubs? You took a friend along for five-minute sets, th- things like that, or was there a different way? Um, yeah, kind of. I mean, I was so I was in Manchester, right. the University of Manchester, which is actually a really great place. It is, yeah. In comedy as a public. Now, London's obviously good but London's just a bit more brutal yeah um, and uh, the opportunities are a little bit less good quality I'd say uh, whereas in Manchester everyone's really supportive because there's not really that many people yeah. and it just happened that when I was starting um, there was a kind of batch of us who, who had started at the same time who have now you know everyone's sort of gone on to do quite well so when I was starting out so it took me a bit of time after I got back from camp to do it in England because I didn't really have the guts um, but then maybe a year later I started properly doing it uh, but in that kind of cohort in Manchester it was Kiri Prajabakli oh, who's amazing now um, Brennan Reese, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Greg, 
um, Pete Otway, yeah. who's now doing like post radio shows and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, Will Duggan was in that group. Oh, superb. Um, Ed Easton, who's doing lots of acting stuff. Uh, there's probably some others, but there was just a really good group of people who loved. Oh, Rich James was in the year above me. At oh, fantastic. Oh, you're below me. You're below me. And so he was like, he sort of was there as well. So there was sort of a really good group of people who loved comedy and were quite ambitious, which I think made a difference because yeah. we weren't just all like doing it for a laugh or doing it to get drunk. Like we were all quite focused on getting quite good. Um, I think, I mean, if you ask any of them, I was definitely one of the worst. <laughs> starting get out. out. Stop putting yourself down. No, I was. I was really not good. <laughs> I, I, the mistake I made... <laughs> Um, was I would write too much new material. Like right. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hone my set. So I would like write a new five minutes every show because I was addicted to getting the new material. But obviously, if you do that, you don't perfect it. Right. Whereas some of the others were much smarter. Write <laughs> 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 like a really great ten minutes and then kept polishing it. Whereas I would be like, oh, let's do another one, another one. Which I think, like, it, it like has two effects. Like I think as a result, I'm probably I became a better writer quicker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I also it took me longer to get good at performing because I was I wasn't um, I wasn't polishing as much. Right. Anyway, there was this really good group of us that worked. You know, no, they're all they're all superb. I've seen I've seen the the names that you've the that you mentioned, and having such a good grounding as well, it it helps everybody become a better. Um, comedian, it's all experience. The more that you do, I I always say to the co- to the comedians I interview, um, I can imagine it's all experience, good or bad gigs. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's something about Manchester that made me, I think, it was quite a unique uh, way to learn because the gigs you're doing are, you know, like some of them are like in working men's clubs in like Rochdale, you know. And <laughs> when I go on with my southern accent. <laughs> Um, you, know, you do have to be funny pretty quickly. For yeah. <laughs> um, my my, my um, home my home city's Carlisle, and coming oh, down, yeah. coming down to London is was amazing. And um, I have a very good friend in Manchester who is from Carlisle. Who I used to go to all the comedy clubs in Manchester with him. So we used to go to the Frog and Bucket and the Dance House yeah. and everywhere and across the comedy store they they took on as well it's such a wonderful city i always look at it as a mini version of london because you can get across it in about 10 minutes but it's got everything yeah. london offers and it's such a good place to be so you I, know, I mean i love yeah i love Manchester. i miss it yeah 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 so when you do when you initially did your um the the beginnings of your comedy what did you talk about on stage and has it differed over the years? Do you have specific themes that you talk about or is it anything that comes into your head? Um, I think quite early on, I I created the kind of, well, I honed in on the persona of being a kind of beta male, um, yeah. loser, bad with girls kind of angle. Um, and that was just very true. Like at the time when I was nineteen, that was exactly what I was, and so it wasn't that it wasn't that big a stretch. And actually, I don't think I was that self-aware that I'd realised what I was doing. Right. I think I was just writing. I just sort of was sort of telling. So some of my earlier stuff was like funny bad date stories um, that I knew they were funny, but I didn't quite realise why they were funny. Um, and obviously, they were funny because I was the loser in the story. Um, and then when I sort of worked that out, 
that the, really the joke is always going to be on me. Like, oh, it's self-deprecating humour really confused yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, I guess I honed in on that. But over time, that has, you know, because obviously now I'm a bit older, you can't, you know, when you're 30, you can't be saying, oh, yeah, we're 12 girls, because it doesn't really wash as much. It doesn't really work as much. Well. Um, but it, 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 there's still, like, an evolution of it. It's roughly the same character. Like, I always sort of think of myself, when I write a joke, and I go, oh, would I say that? Would my persona say that? I just sort of think of myself as the kid that was bullied at school who's now more confident. Right. right? So, so, like, I'm a kid who was wasn't cool and is now doing a cool job and and that and there's always that like slight insecurity in my head of being the uh, the bullied kid and i just try and remember that whenever i do material or any kind of show because that's i think one like that's my voice i guess very <laughs> very much so and what what i particularly love about that um that that clearly comes across when you're on stage. It's it's the it's the energy, the nervous energy, and the enthusiasm that you want to create to make the audience get on your side, and then you can say whatever you like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess there's something inherently endearing. Yeah. If you're if you're the, the loser in the in the, I've never been able to do kind of high status uh, comedy where I'm like mocking somebody who doesn't quite suit me right um so tell me about your writing process then for a routine or a show do you have uh do you have a notebook that you have that you take ideas from do you have um do you have an idea that comes into mind or is it very last minute or how 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 does the process work if for example you're doing a a, an hour-long show say so I'm quite methodical with my writing, I'd say. Yeah. So um, when I was doing an Edinburgh show every year, yeah. um, pre-pandemic, um, I just knew I had to write an hour every year. So I'd always come up with ideas, just like, you know, walking around. And then I'd write them on my phone. And then I would just sit down most days and have a notepad, which was titled 2015 Edinburgh. <laughs> and then I would just start, I would just write every day. And then, um, and then I'd go to new material nights and test the jokes out. So I'm not, I'm not someone who like improvises that much on stage. Like I do sometimes, but I'm very, I'm very sort of scripted. Like I have to sit and write the idea out a sure. lot of times to get the joke. And then, and then when I'm on stage, you know, I'll sort of work out what people are laughing at more than other things. And then, then I might improvise a bit in that area. I, I don't just I know, I'm so envious of comedians who can walk on stage and just go ah oh, bin bags what's the deal with that and then they say something hilarious I'm like, oh, that would take me hours to write that um, and so, even then it wouldn't have been as funny so um, so so is it all based on the test laughs or if you don't like an idea you'll ditch it or is it all based on audience reaction when you do um, the run throughs well I think when you're starting out you're just trying everything yeah you write every you put know, together and test every single idea. Whereas now, I'm a bit more experienced, I'm, I'm much quicker at um, getting rid of material that I know doesn't suit me or yeah. isn't funny um, before I even test it. So I'll write it and I'll be like, oh, that's good or that's bad. So it's, it's a little bit more efficient now, I'd say. But with Edinburgh shows, I guess what Edinburgh shows were really great for me. It's my favourite thing to do an Edinburgh show. Um, and I quite early on, well, actually with my first show, I decided to do a story. Um, and it was a story, it was a true story that I kind of uh, embellished, but it was about me 
picking up their friend's dad from prison and taking him to his daughter's wedding on day on his day release. And he'd been in prison for 18 years for, 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 for a serious crime. And uh, he was like near the end of his sentence, so he was allowed out for the day. And I happened to be driving past, so I, I took him to the wedding. Um, and it's a true story, but then I turned that into a, a whole show, and that was my first, my debut hour. And I found that so much easier to write than just writing loads and loads of jokes, because I had this, like, I really love writing narrative. Yeah, yeah. Writing structured stories. So um, once I have the story, it's, I find it so much easier to hang the jokes on, because yeah, you just yeah. go, all right, we've got a bit here where we go to a service station, and I'm there with a, a potential hardened criminal in a service station. What's funny about that? And then you just write loads of jokes about that. That's, that's easier for me, personally, than going... Oh, what's funny about bathrooms, you know? Um. <laughs> that is that is great because um, the other, the other creative thing I did apart from the blog, the, the, the most creative thing I did, I I wrote a script uh, which uh, I performed with a friend of mine uh, in order to raise money for Comet Relief, and um, we did three shows, uh, and it was a play uh, which I wrote called The Applicant. And uh, writing the story, you're right. I could I could put jokes in the story. The story was about um, uh, it was it was basically me. It was it, it was about a chap who comes down from Carlisle to London. Um, he's got a successful girlfriend, but he's never had a job interview. So each of the scenes is him having a job interview, and it gets worse and worse and worse as he goes along. And at the end of it, due to the plot, he dies when he gets given the, his favourite job. And the last scene is him at the at the gates of heaven or hell or whatever, and he gets interviewed by God, and, and he said, you can come in and interview corpses, and I shrug my shoulders, and that's it. And it was the first script I ever wrote, and initially I wrote it for Edinburgh but again it was to to hang the jokes on so there's a lot of jokes about Carlisle United there's a lot of jokes about my hometown you know and, and it was fascinating how how I did it and I always like to ask the question with the comedians because a lot of them do start off at one point and go around and then end up is is that how you do you always like to finish off yeah yeah, yeah I, I think audiences connect with a story yeah. more so than they can with just a list of jokes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you, if you, you know, people love hearing a story. So if you've got a good story and you've got a beginning, a middle and an end, you get away. hang the jokes on, on it. And actually, I think you get away with a lot more because you can engage the audience. Very much so, more. yeah, yeah. They, they don't get bored as much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think hour, an hour is just a long time for anyone to, to watch <laughs> um, So, yeah, I, I quite early on got into the storytelling. That's great. Um, That's really okay. good. It's a really good way of doing it. Yeah, I always loved it. It did mean then, though, that in every future Edinburgh show, I was sort of really keen to tell another story. But obviously, I'm only, I was only 25. I didn't have that many stories. Uh, yeah. I didn't have many stories that could justify an hour show. <laughs> so it became a little bit, you had to start making stuff up. Sure, um, yeah. But I definitely learned a lot. Like, there's no way I would have written the sitcom with Ian, um, if I hadn't done those story shows in Edinburgh. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, you won the BBC New Comedy Award in 2013. Congratulations. Yeah. Describe, describe the experience of um, 
entering the competition, winning the competition? Do you agree with competitions for comedians? What's your view of it all? Um, well, as, as a very new act, and I've yeah. entered all of the competitions, um, and I was very keen. I looked up to certain comedians who had done well in the competitions. Like Joe Lycett was sort of a few years above me in the kind of Manchester pecking order, maybe yeah. three or four years above me. And um, I watched him do all the competitions and then obviously go on to great things. So I thought, oh, that's how you do it. That's You've got to do the competitions. So I entered all of them. And I actually did quite well initially. Like I got to the final of Larkin Horse and then just did that. Then I got to the final. Uh, no, then I didn't do very Then I, I started doing badly in competitions. I started overthinking it and writing too much new material rather oh, than holding and jokes. So then I think a year went past and I wasn't, I sort of wasn't getting very far in competitions. And then I did the new comedy award and the heat in Manchester, you, do, you enter, you get put through to the first heat or whatever. There's like however many heats in the country. And in my heat was Dane Baptiste. Uh, me and a bunch of I don't know six other people um, and Dane just smashed it like, he absolutely smashed the game and uh, he beat me hands down uh, and I was like runner up or something but runner up didn't get put through only the winner got put through so I was basically knocked out of the competition um, but then I got put through as like best runner up into the semi-finals by the judges or something or the producers so uh, I suddenly had like a second chance. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking, right, if I didn't win the heat with my material, there's absolutely no way I can win the semi-final because I'm going to be up against Dane Baptiste and all the other people who have won their heat. So what I decided to do, which now I look back on it, was extremely bold. <laughs> and I'm not going to have this great thing But I wrote a brand new set that was like designed to be good for a competition. So it was a so it was a very tight five minute set where I read out facts from a book about myself and they were just basically silly self deprecating one liners. Um, I, I love the sound of that. Days and days, right? Like just weeks and weeks working on it, and I'd go to new material gigs in Manchester and just test it over and over again. But actually, it's quite easy to test because you could read out like. 50 of them yeah. and then you work out which ones get the last and then you just put them all together so actually it was kind of I sort of did a, a bit of a cheat um, so then I had and I really amped up the kind of geekiness and I wore like a red knitted jumper <laughs> I sort of went on a bit nervous and a bit like more talking <laughs> than normal and it just sort of worked like I, it just kind of like because I guess what happened was everyone else just did their normal material and then I had this thing that was slightly different um, not even that different, but it was just very defined. Like the persona was very clear, and it was only because I'd done badly in the heat that I bothered to change it. Um, so then, yeah, I won the semi, I guess. Of, I got through to the final, and then the final was a public vote. And I think right. um, I, I think it just connected. I think because it was like one line after the other, it was it just sort of audiences could follow it quite easily on the radio. Yeah, the radio. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably why I won. Uh, I don't necessarily there were some really great comics in that final sure um, yeah yeah but well done yeah. you well done you thank you yeah it was um, great and I don't know if I'd still be doing it if I hadn't won that I, think I, 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 I was just going to ask because because you won it has it helped your career your has it given you more confidence to do more or presumably it's a very positive thing obviously to win I yeah I think the 
biggest thing it was. So yeah. At the time, when you win it, you think your life's going to change yeah. overnight, and you think you're going to become hugely famous straight away. Um, that isn't actually the benefit of winning a competition. The, so there was a few like tangible benefits, which were I got signed to an agent, which was was, was quite big. Yeah. Um, and I and it kind of helped make me this make the step up from being an, an open spot to start doing paid work because it was like oh he's the guy who won the new comedy award. So it like made that jump a bit smoother. Um, but to be honest, the biggest thing I got was the confidence. Like it gave, it gave me a sense of, oh, I can do this. Because I think I'm particularly someone who's sort of riddled with self-doubt. And um, I think early on that can really stifle you. Sure, um, yeah. And I think it just gave me a shot of confidence I needed at exactly the right moment to kind of spur me through until I actually sort of had the confidence naturally um so yeah it was a really important moment for me that's uh, brilliant that's so good that's so so good and um, following on from that uh how do you cope at, if at all with any nerves before you go on stage you get uh, uh, do you get nervous at all before you go on um not so much anymore no um i'm i'm i'm, I'm pretty uh, yeah, I don't get, I mean, I get excited, I get butterflies if it's a big gig, um, or I might get nervous if it's a new material gig, because I'll be thinking, oh, God, I haven't learned these jokes as well as I should have, um, but no, I don't tend to get nervous, nervous, like I did when I was younger, I definitely did, and I think the way I dealt with it was I just, um, I'd always make sure, I mean, it sounds obvious, but I'd always make sure my first joke was good. Yeah and settle the nerves, you know? So if you go out and you do a, a good first joke, you just immediately feel more confident. You know, and, uh, and, yeah. and then your, your nerves kind of go quite quickly. So I guess, and I still do that now, but I guess that's the, it's the most obvious advice in the world, start funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously it's good for that in terms of the audience will like you, but actually it's really good for just letting you uh, relax because uh, you, know you've, you, know, you, you know you've got some trust immediately. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is interesting because when I ask the comedians, a lot of them uh, are nervous. I think nerves is part of it, but I think, as again, the more experience you've got, the lesser it gets, and, you know, it's right to have a bit of nerves before you go on, I would presume. Um, yeah. and, but then once you're away and once you're actually on stage they go away like that and you've got the audience and you're determined to make them laugh, etc., etc. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, yeah, you always have a, a few nerves. Um, I think some comics get more nervous than others. Yeah. Um, I'm not one of these ones who has to like pace around loads, but um, I do have that moment when I'm side of stage waiting for the, you know, I might be a little bit more anxious just as I'm about to go on. But sure. I do find now when I walk onto the stage, I just feel You're away. so yeah. like I belong and I'm so excited yeah. to do the gig. So yeah. I guess it's excitement more than nerves. I think so, yeah. Um, and following on from that, um, how do you remember all your routines? You touched on it before with writing notes down, but do you have like points in your head where to go to? I think the storytelling would help again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it depends what it is. So if it's, like a, if it's a new material gig where I need to learn the jokes, um, I, I, I do literally just sit and learn it yeah. for ages. And I'll write it in a, in, a, in a Google Doc and it'll be bullet points. I'll just try and get it down to bullet points. And then you only have to remember the bullet points. And you know why? Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I'm pretty good at remembering material now. Um, 
I've, I've never liked writing, some comedians like write on their hand. I've never done that because I've got like a phobia of ink on my skin. <laughs> really, um, I, th- really I think that's that. a cheat when they do that because they keep yeah. looking. It, it doesn't I, work. I actually think it's a bit of a crutch because yeah. I think yeah. well, if you know it's there, you don't remember it as much. Um, but it works for some people. It doesn't. So yeah, I'm quite good. And actually, when you're doing an Edinburgh show, yeah, you're right. The story actually really helps you remember the jokes. Because yeah, yeah. If you just remember the story, you'll remember what jokes trigger off it. So. Yeah, I think. I, also, I think if you just do it every night, your your memory gets. Oh, once better. you once you get into it, yeah. Um, yeah. And you, and 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 do you um, do you find it better when you're learning? Do you have to have somebody there, or are you just are you just on your own doing it? No, always on my own. Oh, always on your own because when, I'm just thinking about when my uh, uh, when I when we did the play. It, it was better for me when there was somebody else on stage because you could banter off them. Um, but yeah. but I, sp- I suppose being a stand-up comedian, because you're out there on your own, you've got to do it from the starting point on your own. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I mean, there have been occasions where I might have run the jokes past my housemate or something. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, particularly at the beginning. I think yeah. at the beginning I maybe used to rehearse it more, like a, like a, sure. like a play. Yeah, yeah. Um, but not so much now. Now I'll just write it, look at it quite a few times, and then walk out on stage and do it. Yeah. And I think there's there's something about trying to keep it as natural as possible, you know, because the, 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 the downside of my method is you learn it too much, um, and it becomes a bit rigid and a bit scripted. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm now getting a bit better at kind of remembering, I remember the punchline, but just remember like the rough idea, like don't remember word for word. So that when you say it on stage, it's a bit more natural, and sure. a bit more yeah, yeah. local, um, rather than how you'd write it on a Google Doc. Uh, but that's taken me years to get that kind of confidence. Like definitely at the beginning, it was very much like I'd write it out word for word. I would almost wow. just say it. As if it you remember, um, you look at somebody like Frankie Howard, who um, was very good on stage where he would, um, you would think it was natural, but every ooh or ah, was written down and he would re- be reading it off an autocue. It was yeah. extraordinary when, when, you, when you think about that. It's really interesting. I'd never um, used an autocue yeah. before. I, wow. Was, I did some gigs in um, Denmark where a Danish comedian out there called Simon Talbot and he wanted a, he wanted an English support act. So I flew out there. It was amazing. We did three gigs. He's really famous out there. So he sold out a nice room. And he was doing new material, and he's like, "Oh, you could do new material as well." And I was like, "Oh, great!" And he's like, "I use a, a, te- a teleprompter, an autoprompter at the back of the room." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, it will be there at the back, so you don't need to remember your jokes. You'll just put it at the back." And I was like, "Oh my god, this is brilliant!" So I like typed material into this um, into this machine, and then I went on stage. Honestly, it's one of the best gigs of my entire life. <laughs> I wasn't spending any energy trying to remember the jokes. It was just like there in bullet point form in front of me. Oh, I was. I, That's now, brilliant. I'm like, where's the damn water prompter? Like, <laughs> it's honestly, it's the best I've ever done a gig. Wow, <laughs> that is brilliant. That is so good. Let's let's move on to Edinburgh proper. We did touch on it before. Um, I've been very fortunate to be able to go to the Edinburgh Fringe since 2005 up until the pandemic. I go every year. It's my holiday. I go there for a week. 
and I see about 50 shows. I'm exhausted by the end of it, but I it's just the most amazing experience. As soon as you step off the train, the atmosphere yeah. is incredible. Um, what was your very first Edinburgh Fringe like? Um, so I went the summer after I did summer camp. I right. thought I would go for a few days to see what it was like because everyone was talking about it and I'd never heard of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. No. Um, my family aren't into the arts at all. So I, I didn't know what it was. So I just thought, well, I'll go for three days. Yeah. Four days. I've got a friend in Edinburgh. I'll just go stay in a hostel and then I'll, 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 my friend will come through and we'll watch some shows together. So I get that. I don't know a single comedian. Um, and I'm staying in this horrible hostel in uh, Cowgate. Right. Full of like loud people having sex. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is terrible. And I'm walking around the fringe. So I didn't realize it would be this big. I didn't think it would take over the whole thing. Oh, it's massive. (laughs) And I'm walking around so intimidated, so scared. And then we'd go to some shows. It was really fun. But then my friend would go home because he lived in Cody. Um, So then I would just spend most of the time on my own walking around Edinburgh. Um, and then I, I met Reese James, uh, who I did know from university. So I met, I knew him and bless him. He like welcomed me into oh, fantastic. the group. And I think I had a few nights out with comedians. Um, and that was the moment where I was like, oh, okay, you could, you can be part of this group. Like you can, there's like a, yeah. there's like a tribe that you can join here. And that was probably the first time I really felt like I belonged in the industry. Um, That's brilliant. Before, That's so before. good small part but uh, yeah it was crazy it's so oh it's amazing. it's it's um, it's incredible i mean um what i like to do is not only support the bigger comedians but i support the up-and-coming ones as well so i'm there with a spreadsheet about may time deciding on days what i'm going to go and see and then invite yeah. everybody who wants to come along and and it's such a diverse program the, the majority of it is comics but we also do plays and music as well. Not not so much music, but I would say eighty percent is comedy, because it's the hour long format is so brilliant because you can do four or five in a day if you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it gets quite costly. Yeah, 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 yeah. It can, but um, yeah, um, but um, uh, I thought, why not? Other 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 people go abroad. I yeah, I, but I, I, I do when, that. When I, was, I went, I went as a as a, as a punt, obviously, and. Um, I, I think Kevin Bridges had just got big. Oh, wow. Big. Um, and I went and watched him at the grand, in the Grand, which is the big room. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, I went, I was just mesmerised. I just couldn't believe that I was seeing this guy that I'd see on the TV. And he was like my favourite comedian. And I, I just, that's when I fell in love with The Fringe. Because I was like, oh, this is where it all began yeah. for him. Like, he said that. He said like he was in a small room earlier on that month. Like it wasn't, it all changed from in one month. Um, and I think that's when I realised the, the sort of the, how the fringe relates to yeah, the comedy yeah. on TV. The first um, year I was there, 2005, you couldn't get in. It was Alan Carr's year, and we saw, but we did see Michael McIntyre in a tiny hut, Sarah Millican coming through, Russell Howard coming through, and it's wonderful to watch them develop. You know that's 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 part of the reason why I write the blog. It's it, you're a classic example where it's wonderful to see you see you develop. I I first saw you, first ever saw you, on a lunchtime showcase for Mervyn Stutter, and you blew oh, yeah. that audience away. It would have been about four or five years ago. No, 
longer, maybe five, six, seven years ago, something like that. And I thought, this guy's hilarious. And so I researched you and I, and, I, and I wanted to go and see much more of you. So I did. And whether it was wherever it was in London or, or Carlisle or wherever, you know. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to watch comedians like yourself grow. And that's, that's the magic of it. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the magic of the fringe, really, that you can literally progress. Yeah. You watch them progress year on year. Um, and I think what's lovely about the fringe is you sort of, like, it, although it is a solo thing and you're on your own doing it, you are also in, like, a cohort of friends yeah. doing it as well. So you don't feel quite as isolated as maybe you do the rest of the year. Um, because you could just go meet your mates for a pint and they've done a show that night as well. Exactly, that, yeah. That's a nice... It's a rare moment in comedy where you feel part of a team, I think. Very much not, so. Not so, so. So when you went each year, did you progress from, say, a 20-minute set on the free fringe or three of you were doing it for the hour on the Comedy Zone, for yeah. example, or was it straight away your hour-long show? No, no, no. I started. So my first show was uh, in a bar called the Globe Bar at, at 11 p.m., Perfect. Um, <laughs> not, not prime time, you wouldn't say. Um, and it was a sports bar that showed international sports. So obviously, the time difference often meant that it was on throughout 11 pm. So the bar was so loud with Spanish sports fans and stuff like that. And um, we were just in this little room, me and two comedians called Red Redmond and Eddie O'Dwyer. Yeah, yeah, I um, know them, yeah. Both. Um, yeah, both from Manchester, and uh, we had this. There was a, there was not even a door that separated our room from the bar. It was just a curtain, and a curtain that was very rarely closed. Um, <laughs> and the, the 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 room probably held like twenty people on chairs, um, and we'd all do 15, 20 minutes each. And it was a real learning curve because you got to do gigs every single night, and you just get better quicker. Um, but we did have to fight with the noise every single night. Um, but that was really lovely because you do leave your mates and you feel like you're doing something exciting, you know. Um, yeah, very much so, yeah. So I did that two, we did that two years. Yeah. Um, I think the second time we did it at 10pm to 11pm rather than, uh, so we went up a time. Um, and then I did, what did I do then? And then I did a package show Um which is where sort of it's, it's organised by a promoter. You have to audition to get on it, um, and it's kind of a bunch of new comedians. So I did the lunchtime. It was called the lunchtime special. Yeah. In the troll downstairs in the um, in Edinburgh, uh, just off the Royal Mile, and it, I was, I, on my bill was um, Brennan Reese, Laura Lex. That's Ray, superb. Uh, uh, was it me? Oh, Pierre Oh, right. Um, wow, what a bill. It was a strong bill, now you look back at it. Um, and uh, had a great time. Had a really, and also you sort of, uh, suddenly I was thrust into the group of people who were really flipping good. Um, so you, get, you, get, you, get, you have to work hard at that point. And then, also that year, I did my own solo show, but only a 35-minute show, um, on the free fringe. And that's probably where I learned most, where I learned the most, because I was just on my own, doing a show in this tent, again, in a very loud bar in the Three Sisters, huge bar that you can Yeah, understand. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's in a big courtyard, and it's just a tent, like the thinnest walls. And um, it was great, though. You'd pack it out every night, because it's free. 
Um, and any night, Friday, Saturday was a nightmare. It was actually right off. It was like 7 p.m. and it was just too loud outside. So any other night, it was actually great. Uh, and I'd do 35 minutes of just, and I pretty much did, I, I wrote loads of new jokes, so I should try that jokes all the time. And uh, I think that is where I really uh, developed the most that, that, in that month, in that tent. In that, and sometimes when I, they still have that venue, and when I walk past it, I sort of shiver and think about the, some of the tougher nights that went on in that tent. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I did that. And then I did, so it's quite boring now. And then I did the, the comedy zone. It's never boring. Uh, <laughs> I did the comedy zone, which this was after I won the new comedy award. I got signed to Avalon, who, who, who ran the comedy yeah, zone. Yeah. Um, so then that was my first show in the Pleasant. Who were you on with the comedy zone? <laughs> we actually did the last ever comedy zone. Right. We, we, we sort of killed it. Um, because it had been going for year, like 25 years. Yeah, yeah. And it launched. So many famous comedians have yeah. done it. Um, so we were like, the, the, we didn't know it was going to be the last one at the time. Um, but it was me, Adam Hess, um, Jack Barry, and Alex Smith. Oh, fantastic. Um, it, was, it was sort of about the time where having four straight white guys doing comedy <laughs> wasn't a great idea. <laughs> um, it was like... <laughs> Understandably, yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't most, it wasn't the most well-received show. Because um, it's supposed to be like, this is the future of comedy. Yeah. And effectively, what they were saying is, well, the future of comedy is just four white men. Which, uh, <laughs> it, turned out, it turned out that wasn't true. Um, <laughs> but we had a great time. And, yeah. uh, but after that, I think Avalon thought it was... Uh, it was it was too much hassle to. Uh, to so do your it. first the free fringe sort of blew up by then. So actually, it made much more sense to do things in the free fringe sure. and then do rather than the, the paid fringe. So your first solo show was that a year or two later then? That was a year later. A yes. year later, yeah. and that would be when. Yeah. So my day release, my solo show was twenty fifteen. Fifteen, and um, then you've been doing year ones up to twenty nineteen. Up to 2019, yeah. When, when we were forced into shows. lockdown, which was criminal. And I hope yeah. to God we go this year with the Fringe because they're celebrating 75 years. And in, yes. Aug and in August, I'm 55. So there's a big celebration as well. <laughs> That's the main celebration. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, before we move on, I'd like to give you a round of applause because um, last year... The sitcom Buffering was one of my favourite of the year. I oh. howled with laughter at it. I loved every episode. This is the uh, ITV2 sitcom you created with Ian Sterling. The perfect cast. Um, can you tell me, uh, is there a different approach to writing sitcom as opposed to writing live stand-up? Um. Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for your kind My work. pleasure. I absolutely loved it. It means the world. We, we poured our sort of heart and soul into it, and we worked so hard. Yeah. And um, making a sitcom is, is more difficult than, than I could really explain. I hope um, there's going to be more. <laughs> I, I'm not allowed to say. Uh, but, um, well, I want more. <laughs> but, um, no, writing a sitcom is, is, is very different. Yeah, it's very different. First of all, it's collaborative. So sure. you're writing with our people. Um, and also, actually, the, the, the story is far, far more important than the jokes. Yeah. Um, 
um, and the characters are, are, are the most important thing. So it's yeah, it's very different. It's, it's completely different. Really, the only similarity is the the ability to, to know how to write a joke. Sure. Um, but I love it. Like all I've ever wanted to do is write a sitcom. That was always my dream. Um, and I've been writing scripts every year since I started comedy, really, um, of various standards. Um, and with various people as well. Never actually with Ian, but with other other, other comics and other friends. Um, so I'd, I'd written probably about 10 sitcom episodes by, right. the, by the time we got the chance yeah. to pitch offering. Um, so that's sort of why Ian got me involved, because uh, he just sort of knew I was a bit of a sitcom nerd. Um, so then we wrote it together. We never really thought it would get commissioned, because you sort of don't. You don't really think you've ever got a chance. Um, and then it did get commissioned. We actually got told when I was at Edinburgh 2019. And I remember it was the first day of the Fringe and I had a really bad show. Oh, <laughs> and mate. And, um, and then I got the phone call. And uh, I was actually in a hairdresser's. And um, <laughs> Ian rang me and was like, mate, the sitcom's been commissioned. And then that moment, the hairdresser called me over and sat me down on the chair. And then I couldn't tell anyone for like half an hour. <laughs> I just had like the biggest news, the most life-changing moment ever, and then I had to just sit in silence with this hairdresser. She didn't care about the sitcom. She didn't care. I told her she didn't care. Um, so it was a weird moment. And then, but you know what Edinburgh's like? We're so obsessed with the um, fringe, you sort of lose sight of what the real world is like. Yeah. So even though I had the sitcom commissioned and I was very excited, um, I remember that night I did my show and I'd sold maybe half the tickets or something. I was, and I wasn't very happy about how many tickets I sold. And my agent came in. It's the first time she'd seen me, my manager Katie, and she and she came over and she was like, Congratulations. And I was like, oh, it's fucking shit. I've only sold half the tickets. <laughs> and, and she was like, God save Steve, are you ever gonna be happy? I was like, No, I don't think I am. I think, I think this is it. But um it was it was amazing. It was a literally a dream come true. The pandemic massively altered the, the process. Helped you enormously, filmed, yeah. Yeah. We filmed two episodes. Uh, in 2019, so like December 2019, we had to do that very quickly. So it got commissioned in August, and then we filmed it in November. Um, so we had to, we probably had too short a period of time to write those episodes. Really, now we look back on it, but you know it was just how it was. Like it had to be on TV by the summer 2020. That was the plan. Um, so we we're gonna we we're gonna film two episodes before Christmas, and then four episodes in like March or sure, May, yeah. I think it was. Um, so we filmed these two episodes, but then obviously what happened is the pandemic delayed the whole thing by a year so we had these two episodes in the can but then we had an extra year to write the next four episodes um which i think was actually a blessing in disguise because it allowed us to really spend much more time on the episodes and really not rush it as much because we were under a huge amount of time pressure um so that was actually not obviously the pandemic was awful um but it did the slight silver lining for us was that we had a bit more time to write the sitcom and Ian was a bit more available um, yeah. because obviously he was very busy. Um, so so where, did, we, where did the idea come from for the show? The, the, the first nugget of the idea came from Ian being a kids' TV presenter. I was just going to say, yeah, uh, that's how he started, wasn't it? Yeah. He sort of hated kids. He thought that was <laughs> funny. It's based largely on his um, career. But uh, we thought that's a funny, that's a funny world. Yeah. Uh, and we thought kids TV feels like a funny world to kind of show from behind the camera. 
And then it kind of developed that we sort of thought, well, I sort of want to see a bit more of what Ian is doing in his real life. And then we sort of fleshed out his housemates. And then it became a kind of, you know, tw- people in their 20s trying to, uh, you know, live in London. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Being young. So we had sort of two ideas that mashed together, really. We had the kids' TV world and then the, the, the being millennials or whatever you want to call it. I hate the word millennials. But uh, that... that um, so yeah, that's how it sort of developed. Basically, it wasn't like one idea that we went, "Oh, that's it." It was like a thing that grew. That's and great. Then, yeah, yeah. And 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 just one final question on it: the the cast is made up of uh, a group of comedians like Janine Haruni, who is fantastic in it. Um, yeah. Was that? with the idea in mind was to get a group of comedians together or did you audition or how did that work? Yeah, they, I mean, they all auditioned. Yeah. Um, and we auditioned lots of people. Um, there are different stories to each person. I mean, I, Janine had done her first Edinburgh, I think, in 2019. Right. Uh, and I saw her, I didn't know her, I'd heard her name, but I, I saw her at a gig uh, in Edinburgh. We had just written the pilot, I think, at that point. had just been commissioned. And I just saw her again, and I thought, oh, fuck, that's Tarly. <laughs> she is very good. <laughs> and I didn't say anything to her, obviously. So I wanted to go up and go, all right, we've never met. Do you want to be my sitcom? Um, um, but I didn't know she could act or anything. You know, I, so it turns out she's a trained actress. I didn't realise that. Um, so then we just made sure she came into audition, and she yeah. absolutely nailed it just straight away. Brilliant. And then it was similar with Jessie Kay. Like yeah, I yeah. Kay, so, she's superb. Um, yeah, she's so great and she's so perfect for the role. And the role obviously is 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 is, is very engineered yeah. towards Jessica. Yeah, yeah. And then with so the you tailor made they, them for them. You you tailor yeah. made the role. Yeah, once yeah, yeah. once you've got the characters. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and then the yeah, the rest of them just all auditioned and they were all just brilliant. They were just the, the best people. We had so many people, really good people though. It's it's a really hard bit of the process when you're deciding who's who. Um, but we're really proud of the cast. Like we love them. Brilliant. Yeah, they, all, they all really, I think it helped that they were all quite young and um, no one was, you know, too big. Yeah. The boot kind of thing. We were all just really excited to do a sitcom together. Fantastic. Um, well, please, please keep making them because I absolutely love them. And, and I know it's been a big hit for ITV too. So congratulations on it. Um, let's, let's move on. Who are your favourite comedians, past and present? Uh, Massive well, question. I mentioned Kevin Bridges. He, yeah. he was always my favourite early on. Um, um, Sarah Kendall, I absolutely love. Oh, superb, her. yeah. Edinburgh shows, they're incredible. Like her long form storytelling is just better than anyone else I've ever seen. Um, I love her. Um, who else? I mean, uh, I sort of flip between people. I really enjoy John Mulaney uh, or Netflix specials and stuff. Um, I really love Mike Babiglia. Um, He's a storytelling American comedian who does sort of nice long form storytelling shows again on Netflix. Uh, and actually, I'm going to see him in Leicester Square Theatre soon. Um, Brilliant. He, yeah, he's one of my favourites. I think, I mean, I, I love loads of comedians, really. Um, uh, I, but I do tend to love the, the, the storytellers, like the, the, the long form storytellers who can sort of string a nice story. Yeah, yeah. And and following on from that, like me, do you go to a lot of comedy gigs as a member of the audience? Well, I, I didn't used to, actually, because when I started gigging, I was just gigging all the time. So I would be at a gig, and obviously I would watch it because I was there, but I wouldn't then want to go to one in my spare time. 
but now I, I my life is a bit more balanced with writing and gigging. Sure. Um, I do tend to go to shows more, so I'll go I'll go to Sony Theatre and see what's on, um, which is nice. And it's actually really lovely to remind yourself uh, what it's like to be an audience member. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of course. And, and remember. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. It's the best thing but it's sometimes really hard because when you're doing gigs every single night of the week and you're on that side of the curve, yeah, yeah. you sort of forget how yeah. exciting it is to be in the audience yeah, and what yeah. it feels like. And uh, and I think it's good to remind me sometimes That's uh, great. how much I love comedy and the way to do that is to watch it not, and not worry about being on stage myself. If you're on a, on a comedy bill, do you tend to stay and watch all the acts? I tend to. Yeah. Uh, it depends. That's what I'm doing. I'm yeah. tired. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's largely the reason. Yeah. Uh, the re- the, um, the, re- the reason the reason why I ask those two questions is that um, there's a section in my blog called the ones that got away, and I've written twenty five comedians. I've written about twenty five comedians who have either passed on or haven't had a chance yet to go and see. And top of the tree for me, the reason why I love comedy is Morecambe and Wise in the seventies, where everybody. All the family would go watch them on the TV, and no matter how old they were, they were crying with laughter. I think I just think they were geniuses. The people I did see, I saw Les Dawson in nineteen seventy-seven, and then I saw Tommy Cooper, and it went on uh, into the eighties with the alternative comedians, and then right up, uh, I go every week now. Uh, to loads of different comedy gigs, and I just absolutely love it. It's there's there there is something special about sitting in an audience with the when the lights go down, and you never know what you're gonna get. You never know what you're gonna expect because you're in the moment, you're in the room, and it's an extraordinary feeling. It must be incredible for the comic. Yeah, it is, and I think it's easy sometimes to forget how exciting that is. Yeah. Um, when you do it so many times um, and I try and remind myself how lucky I am to get to go on stage because especially when you do like the gigs I've seen you at are, are the ones in Kennington yeah. uh, James Gill and um, they're just such, they are just such a joy to play and you leave that gig just feeling alive it is um, amazing it, I don't know I don't know how he does it week in week out but he's he's yeah. got a very special talent of involving everybody I think, and, yeah. and and if everybody's involved, it's easy for the comedian, but they've still got to go out and kill it, and the majority of them do. You were hilarious when I've seen you there, absolutely oh, hysterical. Yeah, but that gig is just a joy to play because the audience are in such the right mind frame. Like they're yeah. just so, James just gets them perfectly set up to be generous. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's... And it, uh, and it's the room as well. I I, I I was looking for a like a fringe venue in London and the and the room is perfect to play with the acoustics and everything. Yeah. Oh it's perfect. Yeah. I, I think probably only holds like seventy, doesn't it? About eighty or something like that. 80, yeah. Okay, well um I've much enjoyed talking to you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um just before we go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, anything you'd like to plug? Where can people find you on social media? Have you got any gigs coming up or any books um, or podcasts or anything? Um, yeah, just well, come follow me on social media at Steve Bougier, Bug, Bugger, is how you spell it, um, on uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram and TikTok. Just run TikTok, actually, because uh, that's where all the kids are. Um, <laughs> and 
not for the kit. I'm doing it to promote my career. TikTok is beyond me. I'm still learning TikTok. <laughs> yeah, I'm still learning it. I'm still learning. And, um, yeah, go and watch Buffering. That's the only other yes, thing. Yes, please do. Yeah, it's great. ITV Hub. Yes. Well, well, my friend, I'm so looking forward to seeing you live again soon. And thank you so much for your time, for such a wonderful chat. I've really enjoyed it, and all the best to you. I'm lovely. I've really enjoyed it, too. Love to see you, Richard. See thank you. you. All the best to you. See you later. Bye.